when we come on a retreat like this, the first few days is a conscious transition, a very noticeable transition from our familiar family, friends, activities, behaviors, to a, another way of living, another lifestyle. And this transition to the another place, another circle of acquaintances, other behavior, is a time of letting go of the familiar, letting go of our uh, little nest of comforting uh, behaviors and people and activities that we have constructed for our life. And we come to a new place. And there's bound to be uh, a little insecurity, a little, a little fear of what to, what might uh, be there, what might happen. A little excitement, too, over the possibilities. Some bewilderment over uh, just how it's all going to unfold. And yet a firm and kind of a, a sureness about wanting to be here, wanting to do, having made decision and followed through with all that was required in order to get here. And so we come to the first day of a retreat and things are unsettled. They're bound to be unsettled. There are three qualities to recognize in this process of transition, in the leaving of our mundane lay life to the uh, life of a Dharma practitioner or a spiritual aspirant, if you will. The three qualities that if we recognize, they can support this time of Shifting energy, shifting commitment, shifting behavior. And the first of these is gratitude. Calling to mind and recalling to mind that which has supported us, has brought us happiness, has brought us here. (coughs) Second is to acknowledge our aspiration What direction are we headed? Where is it that we're going with our time here, with our practice? What is it that we hope to see or to achieve or to open to? And third is understanding that practice of the Dharma is about renunciation, about letting go of what we've been holding on to that is no longer necessary in our life, or no longer appropriate, no longer needed. Awareness of these three processes, these three behaviors, these three qualities, will support us in maintaining a balanced relationship to 
the sometimes tumultuous energy of transition. So I want to speak about blessings, aspirations, and renunciation this evening. Buddha was asked many times, what is it that conduces to happiness? What is it that brings happiness to our lives, to our hearts? What is it that is a blessing in our life? He responded in part, that it is a blessing to associate with wise spiritual friends. And when we come on a retreat, we know. We come in part for the contact with others who care as we do about the life of the spirit, the practice of the Dharma, hearing the teachings of the Buddha, And we know that we're leaving the the melting pot of our life at large, really, where not everyone is interested in the Dharma. Not everyone's interested in the truth. Not everyone's interested in renunciation. to have the opportunity to be with those who aspire to happiness, wise happiness, is a a blessing in our life, to have that opportunity. We receive the blessings from (coughs) others. We receive the blessings from within. We receive the blessing from the environment. And we offer blessings to each other. Even though you don't know each other very well, you know something about each other, that you care about the Dharma, that you care enough to make a commitment to be here for some days or weeks or months in order to look deeply to discover a little more of who we are. Dilgo Kense Rinpoche is a great Tibetan teacher of this century. And he says of associating with good spiritual friends, he says, a crystal takes on the color upon which it is placed, whether white, yellow, red, or black, And likewise, the people you spend your time with, whether their influence is good or bad, will make a huge difference to the direction that your life and your practice takes. Spending your time with spiritual friends will fill you with love for all beings and help you to see how negative attachment and hatred are. And being with such friends and following their example will naturally imbue you with their good qualities. Just as all the birds flying around a golden mountain 
are bathed in its golden radiance. We know from our own life and from looking at the lives of others that who we associate with makes all the difference in the world to how we live and our level of happiness. The Buddha went on to identify other blessings. It's a blessing to hear the Dharma, to hear teachings of the truth, to hear teachings that point you personally toward the truth, to discovering the truth, to to seeing the truth in your life. Sometimes we can get quite lost in uh, the busyness, the the overflowing uh, responsiveness of our life, the uh, immense amount of information, knowledge, communication that comes our way. And sometimes we can lose our direction. We can lose a sense of what's really important here. What's important to my life? Is it what I hear on the radio? Is it what I read in the newspaper? What is it that is going to lead me to happiness? What is it that's a real blessing in my life that I read or that I hear spoken? The Dharma is the truth. The Buddha spoke and taught in such a way as to lead the listener to discover the truth. How often do you, in your life, outside of retreat, spend serious time speaking with others about awareness, renunciation, uh, contentment, peace of mind, striving uh, effortfully to realize the deepest truth. Not so often for many of us. That's not the topic uppermost in our mind for conversation. And so when we have the opportunity to hear, as you will hear, teachings on renunciation, being content with the way things are, seeing the truth, peace of mind. It's a blessing because it awakens us to something in our heart that really wants to be happy, deeply happy, not just entertained, not just uh, excited and and, uh, enjoying something pleasurable, but we all have within us this yearning to be deeply happy. And when we hear teachings or talk about that which points to the way to happiness, it's very satisfying. 
It's very enriching. It's very fulfilling. It may not be easy to do, but even hearing the Dharma is a blessing. It brings a sparkle of happiness to our heart. To associate with spiritual friends, to hear the Dharma, to practice the Dharma is a blessing. To have the innumerable conditions required, to have them come together in a time and place where you are and you have the opportunity to practice the Dharma is really quite rare. And we all know what we've each had to do in order to arrange our life to get here. And for some of us, it's considerable. It's, it's a lot of juggling uh, commitments and finances and responsibilities, <coughs> time. And so to have the opportunity to practice the Dharma, even that, is enough to uh, bring a, a happiness to our hearts. We are such a product of our conditioning, our family conditioning, our cultural conditioning, our environmental conditioning, our religious trainings in, in our youth, and it takes a powerful place and time and energy for us to see deeply into that, for us to, to discover the depth of that conditioning in order that we might let go of what is not necessary, no longer useful. Buddha went on to say that to not only to practice the Dharma, but to realize the Dharma, to discover deeply within ourselves what is true. What is true for us in this moment? What is true for all beings throughout all time? To discover the deepest universal truths, that is a blessing in our life, a real boon to our happiness. Even to awaken to the potential of freedom, to, to, to begin to understand that we have that potential. It's not just out there for uh, the Buddha and his followers at that time. It's not just for people living in the Himalayas in caves or lucky enough to be born in India or whatever. It's We have this opportunity. We have this potential in each one of us. And to awaken to that potential, to realize that there is more to life than just getting by, just surviving financially or uh, in whatever way. There's much more to that. We have much greater potential than that. And to awaken to that 
is not easy. To hear the Dharma begins to awaken us, or we begin to awaken if we are interested in hearing the Dharma, but to practice the Dharma and to realize a little bit, to open to the way things are for me, to discover the deep history of our personal conditioning, and to go beyond that, to discover the, the conditioning of all beings throughout all time, and to begin to let go of that. To realize these deep truths of peace of mind, contentment, the power of renunciation, the possibility of freedom. This is a deep source of happiness, a real blessing in our life. There are many blessings, many conditions leading to happiness, pointing to happiness in our heart. But to acquire them for ourselves, to think that we acquire a spiritual knowledge or insight for our own liberation is a short-sighted view, it's a narrow view. When we understand that our practice of the Dharma and our realization of the Dharma really is a benefit to all beings. When we understand that our being here, for the time that we'll be here, supports others. It encourages others. It inspires others. And by the, our very example, others around us, you'll see on the road as you walk some days, are affected by what we do here. Without saying a word, the energy of our hearts, of our minds, is a powerful teaching to others in the community, in your personal community at home, wherever that is. It's a great gift that we give to ourselves and that we give to the world our practice of the truth. By calming our minds, we help others see through the dust. By learning how to live in harmony, and it's, you've probably discovered, it's not always easy to be uh, content and happy with those that you're on retreat with. You know, there's a little friction sometimes. <coughs> Well, we're practicing. We're practicing learning how to live in harmony. And there's only uh, 50 of us here. There's uh, more than 5 billion in the world. But uh, they're all represented here, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) We have this tremendous opportunity to hear the Dharma, to practice the Dharma, to realize the Dharma, and to share the Dharma. To live our life from a place of alignment with the truth, commitment to the truth, to speak and act 
from that place is a great gift to the world. I remember when I was much younger, before I had heard of the Dharma. My life was you know, proceeding as I think all 20-year-olds' life proceeds, kind of uh, randomly, if not chaotically. And uh, there was a lack, a definite lack of direction. Um, and some of you have heard the story of my first retreat, but I'll mention it again. I was living in uh, northern Maine uh, in a commune and had been working for a few years and had been recently out of, was recently out of college. And one woman in the commune uh, told me one day that she was going on a holiday, that she was going on a holiday for a couple of weeks. And uh, I thought, well, that sounded good. Uh, sign me up too. I'd like to go on that holiday. And uh, the, day, the appointed day came, and we uh, drove to a spot on the coast of Maine where there was a, an old Catholic monastery which was no longer being used, where there was going to be a, uh, a meditation retreat. And uh, up to that point, I had uh, no interest in meditation. I knew nothing about uh, Buddhism. I, I, I didn't know anyone who meditated. And... Uh, I, I really don't know what I thought I was doing there. It was a total accident by my <laughs> reckoning. And we walked into this place, and uh, we came into uh, a place much like this, much bigger, where there were about 50 or 60 people walking around very slowly, not talking to each other, and not even looking at us. And uh, we thought, that we were in a strange place. We had come to the last two weeks of the first three-month retreat, and these people had already been there for two and a half months, and we were coming in for the last two weeks, which was another introduction to uh, practice. We looked at the schedule on the door, much as the schedule here, and we saw, you know, you wake up at 5 o'clock, and you sit, and you walk, and you sit, and you walk, you sit, and you walk, and you have a breakfast, and you sit, and you walk, you sit, and you walk, you have a lunch, you sit, and you walk, you sit, and you walk, you have tea, you sit, and you walk, and at 7.30, you can talk, or it said talk, till 8.30, and then you sit, and you walk, and you go to bed. And we said, well, at least we get one hour to talk. Little did we... Little <laughs> did we realize that we wouldn't be talking, we'd be listening. But this was my rude awakening to uh, Dharma practice. And to make a, a two-week retreat, uh, to cut to the chase, it was torture. It was miserable. I was miserable. My body was in excruciating pain, and my mind was totally elsewhere most of the time. I really don't know, or I didn't know at that time, what kept me there. It certainly wasn't fun. It wasn't pleasurable. But there was something. I was hearing something that was resonating deep within me. 
that was keeping me there, that was calling to some part of me that I really wasn't conscious of or really wasn't aware of. And as I look back now, or as I have looked back at that retreat, I ask myself, what what happened on that retreat? What seed was planted or watered or sprouted so that now, 25 years later, here I am leading others through that same, (laughs) what for me was such a miserable time. I'm sure it won't be for you, but for me it was. And I think it was this awakening of a deep commitment to the truth. And I got in touch with a, a practice and people that were interested in the truth. And it felt like I had come to the place that I had always been, or that I had always known, but I'd never heard before. I didn't know these people. I didn't. I hadn't heard this teaching, but it sounded and it resonated as if it was very familiar. And in that uh, awakening, or in that reconnection, there was this blossoming of uh, interest and an acknowledgement of this aspiration to deeply connect with and to realize the truth, to really wake up, to, to understand that it was possible and that there were practices that could lead you to awakening. It wasn't just random, it wasn't just haphazard, it wasn't uh, chaotic. Uh, you didn't have to uh, experiment with everything that came by. There actually was a, a clear path already. With all that is available to us today, all of the power traditions, the wisdom traditions, the spiritual traditions of every culture, every tribe, every community, it sometimes is a little bit uh, daunting, a little bit uh, bewildering, a little distracting, really, to know where to begin. If we're interested in the life of the Spirit, if we're interested in awakening, which book out of that spiritual bookstore downtown do you begin with? The teachings of the Buddha are vast. They're extensive. They just there's the original words of the Buddha, and there's commentaries from every generation since, for the last 2,500 years. And a lot of people have had a lot to say about the Buddha's teachings, the Dharma, Dharma practice. <coughs> but the Buddha suggested that the Dharma be listened to, the teachings of the truth be listened to with an open ear, that you listen without you know, picking and choosing right or wrong, without agreeing or disagreeing, but listen openly and then try what you hear. Try it for yourself. 
and see. Does it really work or doesn't it? For you. Listen carefully. Apply yourself diligently to what you hear. And then know for yourself, this is true or this is not true. It's not a, uh, a practice or a tradition of dogmatic belief. It's not a matter of belief. Freeing the heart from its uh, constrictions and limitations has, not, has, has very little to do with belief. It has to do with practice. And seeing for yourself what makes the heart congested, contracted, restricted, and what makes the heart open and let go. And only we can know that for ourselves, can experiment with the teachings of the Buddha, with practices, and see what leads to happiness, what leads to suffering. When we try it for ourselves, we begin to develop self-confidence. Confidence in our teachers, that's helpful. Confidence in the Buddha, that's helpful. But it's confidence in ourself which is going to carry us through the work that needs to be done in order to free our own heart. And to gain that confidence, to gain that self-confidence, that uh, assurance, self-assurance, that self-knowledge, we have to experiment. We experiment with little bits of instruction and see how it goes. And when we see that the instructions and the practices actually deliver some harmony in our relationships, some calming of the mind, some opening and ability to let go, then we can see in ourselves the, the blossoming of this confidence, this, this assurance, this, this steadiness of direction in our life. The ground of our aspiration is this confidence. Without it, our aspiration is really uh, rather flimsy if we don't have the, the confidence to move in the direction of what we aspire to. When we see another that we respect, that we honor, or that we consider noble or exceptional in some way, when we can recognize this in others, this is the awakening of confidence faith, devotion. When we feel this inner alignment beyond what our experience seems to justify, as I felt on my first retreat, this is the awakening, too, of sadha, or faith. When we feel empowered to take the next step into the unknown, and for some of you coming on a retreat like this, is a big step into the unknown. For some of you, it's first retreat. For some of you, it's the first longer retreat. It takes self-confidence to do that. Recognize that blossoming of that 
steadiness in the heart, that steadiness in the mind that allows you to be here, that encourages you to be here. With this blossoming of confidence or faith, devotion, we begin to see in ourselves the goodness and the potential for greater goodness. We begin to see that we have that potential and we can uh, fuel it, we can feed it, we can cultivate it through our practice. So we might ask ourselves, now we're here to practice for a period of time, what are we aspiring to? What do you hope to achieve? What do you hope to see? What do you hope to get from this period of practice? Or really, which direction do you see yourself headed? Aspiration is really the direction we're moving rather than a goal that we're reaching for. What direction are we headed? How clear are we in articulating to ourselves the direction we're interested in? A friend of ours who has been here on retreat, uh, I think she came to the first uh, month-long retreat here, is a very devout and practicing Catholic. And she had a quite a close relationship with Mother Teresa for many years prior to Mother Teresa's death. And one time, when she'd gone to Calcutta to, to visit with Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa asked her, are you Catholic? And our friend said, well, I was a baptized a Catholic, but I don't know really. Uh, I question the virgin birth. I don't understand devotion, and I don't like the Pope. And Mother Teresa cut in and said, oh, you're Catholic, all right. <laughs> we won't ask you if you're Buddhist here. But if you have some doubt, and you don't know if you believe everything about the Buddha and uh, what uh, some of the uh, some of the mythology about the Buddha, that's okay. If you practice awareness, if you're interested in moving in the direction of awareness and freedom, then we could say you are uh, practicing the Dharma, practicing the truth. Earlier this summer, uh, a friend who lives in northern Minnesota invited me to go on a canoe trip to what is the uh, Boundary Waters Wilderness Canoe Area in northern Minnesota by the Canadian border. And this is a remote uh, wilderness of just innumerable lakes, beautiful, beautiful country. And uh, in my initial enthusiasm, I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to go. Uh, well, what do I need to bring? And uh, he sent me back an email. And the first line of the email was something like, um, after reading this uh, uh, message, you may wonder why you ever decided to come on this trip. And then he proceeded to tell me all of the, <laughs> the equipment that I would have to bring and the conditions that I would have to be prepared for. 
you know, the mud and the mosquitoes and the food, uh, or the lack of food situation and the lack of fresh water and the uh, sweat. And I began to think, geez, uh, it, it sounded like a good thing to do. And I almost turned around and said, uh, no, I don't think I want to come. But I persisted and um, went anyway. And it was, of course, a very rewarding trip. When we first think of coming on a retreat, we think of, oh, a retreat, great, or something like that. <laughs> and then we get the letter back from the uh, registrar that says, oh yeah, be prepared for this and bring this and don't, pr- don't plan on that. And then you get here and you get in this uh, very restricted environment and you may begin to wonder, uh, why did I ever come on this trip? There's some part of you that's aspiring to something beyond uh, the conditions of this retreat. And so it's, it's good to remember that, that we're not just aspiring to be here comfortably. Please, don't limit your aspiration to that. And neither are we here just to uh, take a midsummer holiday, to get a little uh, stress management in our life. Let your aspiration be come from that deepest place within you. What is it that you really desire, want, feel, or are moving towards in your life? The deepest place. And to not be satisfied that you have it clearly in mind yet, or in view, or articulated. But allow yourself to be open. What really matters to you? What really matters to me? Where am I going in my life? Where are you going in your life? What direction are you headed? That's your aspiration. We're not there yet. We may not even be clear what direction we're headed. But if we're open and looking, we'll get clearer. There's a difference between aspiration and expectation. We can aspire to what is unrealistic to expect. And we should. We should aspire to the greatness that we have within us, that potential that we have within us. But let's be realistic. Uh, We may not uh, manifest it in this retreat. But that's a direction that we're moving towards. Important to keep that in mind, that we have this potential. And like any bud, as Carmel was talking about earlier today, like any bud that sprouts, begins to grow, or seed that sprouts and begins to grow, it takes time. It takes immense amount of care and attention and supportive conditions in order to bloom, to come into its full, uh, beautiful blossom. And we too, in our 
uh, budding aspiration. It takes time. It takes conditions. It takes a lot of love and care and nurturing for us to blossom into this magnificent being that we are. Our practice here is not only about feeling good, but in fact it's about doing what we know is right. Our friend that had the relationship with Mother Teresa went to India several times and usually had an agenda in her going. And one time she just felt the urge to go and it really wasn't convenient time in her life. Uh, Her finances weren't good and uh, she really didn't have the time even. But she felt the urge and she went. And when she got there, she told uh, Mother Teresa that she didn't really feel like coming or she didn't really know why she'd come. She didn't really feel like it. And Mother Teresa said to her, you don't develop your spiritual life by doing what what you feel like doing. You develop your spiritual life by doing what's right. And some of what you may undertake here, some of the practice, some of the uh, efforts that you'll be asked to make or that you'll ask yourself to make, it may not be what you feel like doing in the moment. But you know it's the right thing to do. It's important to keep that distinction clearly. I want to read a short sutta from the, uh, <clears throat> from the Long History of Happiness by Michael Lunig. And the sutra is How to Get There. This is the title. <clears throat> Go to the end of the path until you get to the gate. Go through the gate and head straight out towards the horizon. Keep going towards the horizon. Sit down and have a rest every now and again, but keep on going. Just keep on with it. Keep on going as far as you can. That's how you get there. (laughs) (laughs) Acknowledging our blessings, the, the tremendous support in our life, for happiness and for being here, clarifying our aspiration, really getting in touch with what really matters and what direction are we moving in our life. And the third practice, really, in this movement, this transition from where we are to where we're going is the practice of renunciation, letting go. Our very being here is a big renunciation. We all have to let go of a lot. Our family, our friends, our familiar activities in order to be here. And it From one perspective, it might look like a rather 
severe imposition of a restrictive way of life. You come here and, and we ask of you to take the precepts, to uh, not, not speak with each other, uh, and to, to limit your activities quite severely. We don't ask that of you without reason, without cause, without purpose. The practice we've undertaken to open our hearts, to open our minds, to see the limitations and to go beyond them takes a tremendous amount of energy. It just takes a tremendous amount of energy. And we get that energy from limiting our activity. When we're not acting out, everything that comes through the mind, every desire that comes through the mind, every aversion that comes through the mind, every whim that comes through the mind, when we're not acting it out, we conserve that energy. And that's the energy that's required to open the heart. Our conditioning to pursue our desires, to avoid our fears, and to continue to deny the truth is exhausting. It's very, very tiring. And we might ask ourselves, where is it all going? How many times do we have to chase after what we know intimately is not going to bring us happiness before we'll let go? How often do we have to get caught in our obsessing mind before we learn to let go of our fears, of our desires, of our ambitions? Can we practice here without making practice another thing to strive for, without making it something that we wrap our ambition around. We've all had the experience of outgrowing what is no longer needed or useful in our life. The toys of childhood are let go of quite easily as we grow up. The adolescent pursuits, the adolescent distractions, we let go of somewhat as we grow up. The need to let go in order to grow doesn't stop just because we reach adult years. But throughout our life, to the extent that we wish to grow in new capacity, requires that we let go of what is no longer useful, no longer supportive, no longer necessary. And this renunciation, this letting go, this renunciation is the foundation for awakening. Again, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche says of renunciation. Renunciation 
implies the strong wish to free oneself not only from life's immediate sorrows, but from the seemingly unending sufferings of samsara, that cycle of conditioned existence. And with this renunciation comes a heartfelt weariness and disillusionment with the endless quest for gratification, approval, profit, and status. We've all spent an unbelievable amount of time and energy looking for just that. Approval, profit, status, gratification. And we know somewhere deep in our hearts that happiness is not dependent on those things. Can we let them go? Can we let our search for those ephemeral, insubstantial things go? That's our practice. We know it in our heart. We know the happiness. We know the relief that comes when we let go. As Ajahn Chah says, if you let go a little, you'll have a little happiness. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of happiness. If you let go completely, you'll have complete happiness and peace. Here on this retreat, we have the basics of life offered. All that we need is right here. Beautiful environment, adequate food, a warm place to sleep, good friends to be with. What is to prevent us from being happy? Hanging on to something else. And so our practice will be to discover what it is that we're hanging on to in our hearts and our minds that is that feels so essential to our life in order to be happy. To discover that and to let go. And to realize that everything we need is right here, right now. We, we, the teachers and the staff here, are not here to satisfy your desires. We won't try to. We're not here to satisfy your needs. We won't try to do that either. But what we'll ask you to do is to see if you can learn to love what it is that you do here. Can you truly love your life as it is right here, right now, without any conditions, without needing anything else? Is this enough? What will it take for you to be content? To find contentment in your heart, to find peace in your heart.
any of the practices that we undertake here, or I should say all of the practices that we undertake here, the precepts, letting go of our own personal interest in behavior so that we can live in harmony, letting go of our obsessing, uh, addictive habits of mind, training our mind, letting go of our misunderstanding, letting and seeing deeply the way things are, practicing generosity, the generosity of Kamonai in offering the teachings, the generosity of the staff in offering their support for your being here, the generosity of Mike and Anna Lee, the owners of this place, in making it available to us, and your own generosity to share your space, your time, your energy with each other. All of these practices of letting go nourish the happiness of our heart. So in these initial days of the retreat, as we move from the familiar deeper into the unfamiliar, when we move from the personal into the communal, from the mundane into the spiritual, recount your blessings, clarify your aspiration, and let go. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.